What is up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We are back from our summer hiatus. Thank you guys so much for rocking with us and hanging back with us as we return to talk all the big stories that we've had in sports this week. We're, of course, coming up on the NFL season in just a couple of weeks, and there was a major news out in New England. We'll get uh, Kendall's thoughts and my thoughts on the decision to cut Cam Newton and Bill Belichick deciding to ride with new rookie quarterback Mac Jones. Also, college football week one starts this week, starts Thursday. So we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, so uh, week one games will be starting on Thursday. Obviously, the big slate of games Saturday. It is a massive slate of really big-time games on Saturday. We'll preview week one's games as well as give you guys our playoff and Heisman picks. We'll also talk a little bit of baseball. You know, my my Mets have had a just a terrible run for the past month. So more bad news today as their acting general manager is uh, busted for DUI and is now facing um, uh, DUI charges. So it's been a, a mess of a, of a situation with the Mets. But beyond that, the, the big story this week was what we saw this weekend with several of their star players deciding to in their words, boo the fans who have been booing them in their historic collapse um, in August. As we turned the month, they did start off pretty well uh, in terms of, well, well, didn't start off well the first. The last game of the month started off, ended pretty well despite the, the putrid month. Uh, we'll tell you guys uh, uh, more about that. And Kendall, who joins me today, has Kendall's court. And Kendall, the story that you'll be talking about at the end of this podcast I'm still dumbfounded by. It's just one of those stories you have to hear to believe. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's definitely one of those, I agree, it's one of those stories that you have to hear to believe. Um, it's a story that uh, I watched unfold on on television, and I still didn't necessarily know what to think or know what to believe, but as the stories continued to come out this week, it gets crazier and crazier, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. But uh, I'm excited to talk about all these topics. Obviously, um, you know we we've talked a ton of a ton of basketball uh, over the last uh, you know three four months, um, and we'll continue to uh, as we get closer to the season. But now we've 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 also hit football season, which is mm-hmm. exciting. Um, you know, obviously this time of the year, uh, you know, is you know, last year obviously there was no preseason, but this year we had preseason. Um, and what what I love about college football and week one is that, especially when there's no when there's preseason in the NFL, is that it really feels like the first, the first there is no preseason. So and and because every game matters, like week one is just as important as week ten or eleven. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when you go from having all of these preseason NFL games to week one of college football and guys are going live, full, speed, full yeah. speed, you know, and you have these big matchups that we'll talk about later later in the show, um, it's electric, uh, electric, electric theater, electric television. So I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get into this uh, really great slate of games we have in week one. But we're going to begin today's podcast with. The drama happening in Philadelphia surrounding its star player, Ben Simmons, the Sixers, multiple-time All-Star, according to multiple reports, 
has officially requested a trade from the Philadelphia 76ers. The rumors all summer has been that the Sixers have been trying to trade Ben Simmons. The rumor has been that they were looking for, as I and I quote here, a Harden-like package for Ben Simmons. Apparently, that has not uh, come to fruition. And now we sit in a situation where Ben Simmons is still a Philadelphia 76er. And we inch a little bit closer to training camp. It's not like it's right around the corner. But um, in a month from now, training camp will begin. And Ben Simmons is drawing his line in the stand at this point in the game now. Saying that he does not plan on attending training camp. And he is actively looking for a trade at this point in time. Now, the, the reports that were coming out earlier this week was that Ben Simmons was interested in uh, playing for a list of California teams. Very peculiar to me. Apparently, uh, there are three teams in the state of California that he's interested in playing in at the moment. We know uh, there are four California <laughs> state teams right now Kendall one of them hasn't made the playoffs in over 10 years (laughs) yes I think we would assume that the one that has uh you know uh uh, cornfields and and cows that's that that city that town I'm assuming that's not the one Ben Simmons is is looking at in Sacramento um I we would assume that those teams that he would be interested in would be the Lakers the Warriors and the Clippers um, it's pretty hilarious because I have no idea how he thinks he can get himself to the Clippers or the Lakers at this point in time. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you might as well shoot for the stars, aim for the moon, right? Shout out to yeah. uh, R.I.P. Uh, uh, Pop Smoke. Are we, are we talking uh, buyout at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the only way uh, at this point in time. And it was very interesting how things kind of unfolded. It's been, a, again, like I said, a very tumultuous time in Philadelphia because then yesterday – we have reports coming out of Philadelphia that that Rich Paul was perhaps his agent. Rich Paul represents Ben Simmons was perhaps making a power move by also trying to get the Sixers to package Tyrese Maxey in some kind of deal with Ben Simmons. Um, the report was that uh, there are local organizations in Philadelphia that were planning to have uh, Maxey at events, and all of a sudden these events were being canceled abruptly. And they were being told that they would not be rescheduled and that there was this effort to not make Maxie, uh, you know, uh, kind of like put roots down in Philadelphia because Rich Paul was frustrated with Philadelphia. Now, as we get to when we have this kind of game of chicken and egg uh, or game of cat and mouse, rather, is a better term, <laughs> um, you know, stories get leaked and things get put out there to put out a certain perspective. And, you know, the Philadelphia fans certainly jumped all over Rich Paul when this happened. Today, those reports were then, uh, I don't want to say retracted is the word, but they were basically clear to say, look, you know, Maxi is committed to Philadelphia. He's not, he's going to stay. So we don't know if it was, you know, damage control by uh, a plan that was uh, ill-fated by Clutch Sports, or if this was Philadelphia maybe uh, uh, effectively executing a plan to smear Rich Paul. It can go either way. But this is the kind of higher stakes game now we're seeing with this scenario with Ben Simmons. And things are not going well and things I don't think got any better when Joel and B the team's franchise player decided to put his hat in the ring and to be fair he wanted to respond to a report by the USA Today that there had been a quote rift between Simmons and Embiid that had grown and worsened and perhaps 
um, w- was becoming more of the impetus to get a deal done with Simmons getting shipped out of Philadelphia. And B didn't like that. Um, uh, he, he said that essentially uh, people were using his name to push agendas. He added, quote, I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. He's an amazing player, and we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. He then uh, went along to then kind of tweet about how he was also frustrated by fans who had booed him years ago and that fans that also now have to be better in this situation. So not necessarily the kind of uh, uh, off-season I think you'd want if you were uh, Dow Morey in Philadelphia, Sixers Brass. Where do you where do you kind of stand, Kendall? Where where all things shake out this moment? Ben Simmons right now comes into this next season with four years and 147 million dollars left on his contract, and it's so far it seems like Philly's having a difficult time finding a um, a, a deal they like. Yeah, I mean, I think the question that you know that 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 you need to have with the situation right now is how did we get there or how did we get here? Um, there, I mean, we went from a situation where Simmons is a guy that obviously signed long-term five-year deal in Philadelphia. Um, he's been the, the team's franchise player alongside Joel Embiid, um, was the number one pick in the draft and by all accounts been a, been a great player for the most part besides his performances in the postseason. Um, how did we get to to the point where? He has another bad postseason, and at the end uh, of the series and at the the, the post game press conference, he says that he wants to remain a Sixer and he loves playing in Philly and this and that. How did we get from that point? And Daryl Morey essentially saying we're not trying to trade him to Ben Simmons saying I'm not going to report the camp. You know, like it's been a couple of months since that uh, that illustrious. <laughs> or lack thereof, a uh, game against Atlanta, game seven, where Simmons uh, laid an egg. But there hasn't been anything since that, besides, you know, conjecture and pressure from the media. What I feel like happened is I feel like Philly didn't do enough to pour water on the on the trade talks because there was too much, there was too much, outside pressure from the media, the Philadelphia media and the Philadelphia fan base to get rid of Ben Simmons. So Dow Morey couldn't explicitly say we're not going to trade him. And they had to show whether it be through reporting or, or, you know, or however back channel, they had to show that there was an effort being made to move on from Ben Simmons. Um, at the same time, uh, they, what what the the issue is that they they they've made uh, uh, for whatever reason they they because they've they they've decided to make this move to to trade Ben Simmons but not for any sort of reasonable package you're not you haven't been able to because the package hasn't been reasonable or the demand hasn't been reasonable but now you have a player in Simmons that you you essentially threw under the bus. Doc Rivers saying in the post game he's not a championship player, or I don't know if he's a championship player, right? And, or championship point guard rather. Like, so you've essentially thrown him under the bus at this point by, you know, uh, it, by 
flirting with the idea of trading him by saying he may not be a championship point guard. You've 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 alienated this guy, um, and you've alienated clutch sports to the point where we may be seeing a situation where, like you mentioned, a guy Tyrese Maxey may also want out because of uh, the relationships that have been broken on that side. So that's how we got in here, apparently. Um, in terms of what's going to happen, um, I think he's going to get traded before the season starts. Um, I just can't imagine a situation where your second best player isn't showing up to training camp and he wants out. And there are plenty of teams that will take Ben Simmons. You know, and that's been uh-huh. mostly the the word from people around the league that, yeah, this idea that Simmons is like, you know, untouchable or Simmons is an albatross of a contract is not true. That there are plenty of teams around the league that look at this as an opportunity to take a guy who was an all-star, you know, two years ago and was a max player. No one, no one had an issue with when he got his max deal and is only, what is he, 25? Like... 20, 25, 20, however old he is, like he's he's in the prime. He's not even in the prime of his career. I feel like we're we're at a position where Simmons, you know, is probably being a little bit undervalued, and so because of that, there are going to be teams that that are willing to take him on, but Philly's just going to have to lower the price. Um, But Daryl Morey and the Sixers have lost all the leverage in the situation, and that's hard to do when you have a guy that's signed long term. But they don't really want Ben Simmons. That's the that's the that's the problem with this. Yeah. Game. That how are you trying to trade a guy for the moon? You're trying to trade a guy for the moon. Yeah. For this incredible package, and you don't even want him on your own team. Yeah, you. This pub- isn't a guy demanding publicly. You t- you've publicly like kind of flirted, debated with the idea that perhaps you you actually really don't want him. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So and then but on the same, but I'm supposed to take him and give you my best players for right. him. My best prospects, like it, it's it's a foolish. It was it, it was foolish, um, you know, negotiating, and 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 using the media and using using the optics by 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 the Sixers organization. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the Sixers have misplayed this. I mean, ben Simmons is a three time All Star, three back three years back to back, starting you know in 2019 and made it every year since. Um, we all know his deficiencies. We all know his strengths. I don't think we need to really go too much into that. It really comes down to, again, posturing and negotiating and leverage. And Philly did a poor job. I, I don't know if they were um, spooked kind of by the clutch sports machine, feeling like this is a game that they were going to have to win in the, you know, in the court of public opinion, which is really weird because I feel like Philly – Philly, I think the city is done with Ben Simmons. That's the feeling I get. I don't know oh, yeah. if you feel the same way. I mean, the city is done with him. So I don't. I didn't think they had to do much to to make this clear. So I, I, it felt like they probably were. I, I, what I saw kind of this offseason was mixed messaging. Was there were times where, yeah, again, it looked like they definitely wanted to get him out of here. And then there were other times where they were like, oh, no, we love Ben Simmons. We want to bring him back. Like, you kind of, you got to go, first of all, you got to go one way or the other. You can't be giving mixed messages. But as soon as you give any indication that you indeed, not only are you open to trading him, but that you prefer to trade him, well, then now that kind of puts the, the onus back on the player and on the other teams now in terms of what they can offer because 
once they see that you don't feel like you can win with him, why would they offer you, again, the moon to take him? You know, all we've seen is Philly and the Philly press and the media, you know, dissect this guy's, uh, uh, you know, deficiencies. And they're large and they're potentially um, they're, they're potentially roadblocking when it comes to winning a championship. I'm being 100 percent honest. Yeah. doesn't mean the guy isn't still an all-star and worth a lot on the open market if you treat it as such. Philly uh, did, I think, kind of cut their nose despite their face for no real reason. But that kind of brings me to that point of it because we say no real reason, but I almost wonder if there is a little malice towards Simmons in that camp for him being the player that he is. Because I remember we and you talked about it off air. And obviously, we haven't had many sports podcasts this summer, but at least the last few months. But I remember I texted you one time. I was like, has Ben Simmons improved at anything offensively? Is there any offensive skill set you can point to and say, Ben Simmons has improved that since his rookie season? I couldn't tell you. And the stats don't show you anything. Like you say, okay, well, maybe there's some numbers. There's nothing I can see on film or in the statistics that says, Skill-wise, now, is he a smarter player? Of course. You know, you get more experience. Of course, he, he's a he's a better player than he was as a rookie. But I'm talking about in terms of just skill. He shoots the ball better. He has a better post game. He goes left better. He, he Nothing. There's nothing. So I wonder to me, and, and I think a lot of the disposition from Simmons and his camp and to their blame, Philly's camp too, because they were lockstep with him, was kind of like, and you guys are casuals. Y'all don't realize how good he is. Leave us alone. Maybe that was the public perception because they wanted to get behind their star, hoping he would actually do the work to make these leaps in his offense game that they felt he needed. And now maybe there's frustration that it never happened. And they came to the playoffs. They were the number one seed, but going up against a team that looked very outmatched. And they couldn't beat the Hawks. And I say that because this team was missing guys. I'm not saying that because the Hawks are a bad team. They were outmatched because they literally didn't have some guys by the time the series was over. Like, And they still found a way to beat the Sixers. Despite the Sixers being fully healthy, despite having home field advantage, despite having Game 7 on their home court. So I, I think some of this, I think they let their feelings, I think, honestly, get into the way of business. And whenever that happens, Kendall, is a recipe for disaster. So now this is where Philly stands. It doesn't mean that they can't necessarily get a good, you know, uh, return because he's still a really good player. And I think at the end of the day, once they really start to be realistic, it's not to me what I was hearing in terms of their offers. Again, you don't know what's true and what's not, but considering what they were asking for, it just seemed ridiculous. It was just like you're not getting a Harden package for a guy who's not nowhere near close to Harden. You didn't give up a Harden package of Harden. Like you literally had the opportunity to do it, and you wouldn't give up Ben Simmons. So why yeah. all of a sudden would would you get a Harden like package for a guy? Who they're trying to give away. Houston didn't want to. Houston was trying to give yeah. James Harden $100 million for three years. They were trying to give him record-breaking money. They didn't want to get rid of James Harden. He he wanted out. So you can't. You're trying to give away a guy. And you're like, yo, give me the moon. It's not going to work that way. So um, so I, I think once the market makes it's uh, corrects itself, I still feel like they can get good players in terms of landing spots. I mean, you, you thought I was crazy when I said, when I when I approached, I'm not saying I would do it, but I, I broached the idea of Fox for um, Simmons because even though Simmons wants to go to California again, we don't think he wants to go to the Kings. But the Kings are apparently interested, and the Kings desperately need a star. 
I tend to agree with you that I can make the case that De'Aaron Fox is better than Ben Simmons. But I also can make the case that what what Sacramento needs, Fox doesn't really provide, which they need a defensive anchor. And Simmons is a special defensive player where he actually anchors your defense from the perimeter. Like, like, and because yeah, yeah. they have now Halliburton and uh, off night in Davion Mitchell, now Simmons could really become like your free safety amoeba defensive player that can guard five positions and really cause havoc. A team that was the worst defensive team in NBA history last season all of a sudden may look very different with Simmons in the lineup. So that was why I didn't think it was crazy. Not to say that I would do it, but I, I thought it made sense. And they need real star power. I mean, Fox is a, is a star talent, but he's not a star name. I don't know if he's bringing fans, you know, to the to the to the arena. You know what I'm saying? It's not his fault. The guy's an incredibly exciting, incredibly skilled player. But Simmons is a big name, a big draw, a bigger draw at least than Fox. So I thought that that made sense that they would at least explore that because you wouldn't have to give up all these crazy other assets to get him. I mean, that could probably be a one for one, and you're done. I don't know if you give up much more. Whereas these other teams, you're talking about giving up three, four, five assets. And maybe teams will be more apprehensive to that, given Simmons's contract and given Simmons's liabilities. Yeah, I mean Sacramento. I can't imagine trading Fox only also because he's he's the face of the franchise, um, you know. And you could argue well, he's been the face of a franchise of a franchise that hasn't yeah, yeah, moved the needle been, at that's all. A, that's a loser. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. So, you know, how much, how's that worked out for them? You know, the guys in his peer group are, are either franchise players or they're not. There is no, there, <laughs> in terms of his draft class, like Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell are clearly franchise players. He wants to see himself on that level. Um, and then you've got the other guys that were in his crop, like Lonzo Ball and Marco Fultz and Dennis Smith, who are not. And right now he's a tweener. He's in between. He wants to be a franchise player, but he hasn't proven that. So, um, but I think he's got that capability. Um, I look the fit in Sacramento doesn't make any sense really with Fox and Halliburton and Mitchell, but they just need to accumulate talent, and they have a lot of assets outside of uh, even those three guys. Um, but I mean, I think about a team like uh, Minnesota. That yeah. have to think about kicking the tires. Um, you know, you have D'Angelo Russell, but you also have guys like Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels. That, I mean, if could you sell could you sell Philly on a Jaden McDaniels Malik Beasley package? You know, in draft picks for for Ben Simmons and say now we've got Simmons, Cat, Russell. I mean, I feel and, like Philly and, would be and, sick if they came back with. J.D. McDaniels and Malik Beasley for Ben Simmons. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hard to sell. It's not disrespect necessarily to, to either of those guys. McDaniels, I think, is a very promising young player. Malik Beasley has off-court issues but can score the ball. But if that's how you, you end up for a guy you drafted number one. Uh, and it's been an all-star. I, I think that I, yeah. they, they'd be sick if that's how that, that's how that shit yeah. got. And there's a, there's a conversation about Russell, you gotta have. I mean, you gotta get up. Russell back. Um, 
I, you know, I've seen people make the case that they like Beasley and McDaniels better than Russell. Um, you know, I mean, some people have questions about Russell's ability to actually be a winning player. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have those questions as much as others. I think, I don't think he's a guy that's going to carry your team. Um, but I think if you put him on a on a good basketball team, I think he's he's going to do what he does. Like he's going to get 17, 18 a game. He's going to play. He's going to be. I mean, he's going to be heavy volume pick and roll. Um, he's not going to give you much defense, but like, I don't think there's much variation in Russell's game, regardless of what situation he's in. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, the thing, the thing about Simmons is that he's uniquely, he's uniquely valuable to, to these small market franchises that don't normally have a chance to acquire all-star level guys all-star talents all-star talents like ben simmons and he he signed long-term his value is at an all-time low um and he he wants out of his current situation and and he's not good enough where the big market teams want to have his contract so there isn't some massive bidding war so i think you will see a team like minnesota or I mean, so that's a, that brings a mess the question, right though. You don't think that there's any team that's relatively good that sees Ben Simmons as their final piece? Like, you think wherever he's going is going to a team that's yeah, he's going either to rebuilding or a team that's trying to make the next step to, like, be a playoff team? I It depends, really, on where... Because Golden State, I think, is the one that. team we keep looking at and saying, is this a team that really thinks that Ben Simmons can make them into, like, a contender again? Yeah, uh, you could argue. Yeah. Well, they were in a playoff team the last few years, but you know we know what goals. So are I, when they're healthy. The reason why I have a hard time believing that mm-hmm. there's two reasons. One, right now Philly's asking price is so high, yeah, that you're telling me that Golden State would likely have to give up at least one, if not two, of their major prospects: Kuminga, Wiseman, Moses Moody, for some some kind of. Some, combination of two of the three for for Simmons along with a probably an Andrew Wiggins um and whatever other filler they want or need that's a pretty steep price at this point for a guy that you know I mean you could argue Andrew Wiggins would have if they had Andrew Wiggins instead of Simmons in that game seven that Sixers might have won that game so you know that's and and I'm giving you Andrew Wiggins for Simmons straight up, and then you're not giving, and then, and then I'm also giving you a lottery pick. So that that's going to be the, the 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 question if you're Golden State. But then not all, on top of that, you're saying to yourself, for all those teams, the the Knicks, uh, you know the 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 Celtics potentially the uh-huh. the the Warriors, those teams that feel like there may be a piece or two away yeah. from that from competing. Those teams have to ask themselves, do we want to push our chips to the table for Ben Simmons? All right. Because Bradley Beal is going to be a free agent next year. Mm-hmm. And if by the trade deadline, Bradley Beal is like, I want out, then Golden State's going to get on the phone, and the Knicks are going to get on the phone, and the Celtics are going to get on the phone to try and get that guy. If Zach Levine, is, who's going to be a free agent next year, becomes available, all the same teams will likely be <laughs> trying to get that guy. So, like that—that is—that is the 
the issue. And obviously, Damian Lillard is a guy we, we've talked about before in the past. He's likely to be traded at some point in the near future. So it, it that that's the thing that you have to juggle with if you're a contender, is that we don't think Ben Simmons absolutely makes us a championship team. Why would we do it for him? Why would we move our chips, our one chance for this guy, when we can when we can wait on on a, look if you can do the 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 LA Dodger model and Golden State's like yeah we'll give you Jordan Poole in a second then yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah I'll take Ben Simmons well, yeah Dodgers been getting away with robbery players they've been able to get the last few years trade deadlines and things like you know yeah we'll give you our the eighth guy in our farm system we'll give you uh you know Nico Mannion and and some cash no but like equivalent of a Max Scherzer back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's so that's the that's the problem. And and those other teams, a Cleveland, an Indiana, uh, a Detroit, or something like that. Those teams, they're not they're not in the Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard market. They they can't right. be because those guys are going to leave in free agency. Um, Lillard is signed long term, but I mean he's already made it clear he doesn't want to go to a team like that. So. Like you, you can't go after a Bradley Beal or Zach Levine knowing that he's gonna be they're gonna leave him free agency. So um, Simmons is the kind of guy that would have to stay for at least the short term, and you can rehabilitate his his brand and his his talent. So yeah, um, Simmons is such a unique player. I think he's hard to he's hard to just plop on any roster because he's to me. I think a lot. I think I know me and you have disagreed. I think most of the NBA agrees with me. I know you felt that he has way more value than four than people give him credit for, and perhaps that's where he should be playing. I think that he's only special if he's a point guard, and I think that's a problem and in some ways because because he can't shoot, and then because he's 6'10", like, Philly is, like, built in some ways perfectly to, like, work, which is kind of why the fact that it's not working is very scary for them and why they want him out. But, like, you need a guy in the wing, another little guard who can shoot, but maybe, you know, Simmons can guard almost anybody. But there might be guys, you know, from chasing guys around screen, things like that. Maybe you don't want Ben doing that. So you got to have somebody that can do that. you got to have some, some big-time scoring in your front court because Simmons, you know, he's a big man, is really giving you that kind of interior scoring. So it's like you kind of got – like he can make things work because he's a very special talent. But, like, you kind of have to work around him. So it's not like there are a lot of rosters around the NBA that you can just plop him on and, like, it works, you know. So I think it's again you have these teams that are taking these flyers on him that I agree the, would probably the, make more sense. The, the one thing I will say, and the teams who are that. like who are you know more entrenched, it's like okay, we have Ben Simmons. Like now what? Like like how do we even make this work given right. the roster we have? The the Tyrese Maxey thing that you mentioned about him likely being a, a part of any Simmons deal because of the clutch sports factor is interesting, and I think that hints to the idea that this is going to be a bigger trade. That they're not going to trade a Simmons. You're not trading Simmons and Maxi for Malik Beasley, for example, or anything that would be viewed as sixty cents on the dollar. Well, that's why that brings us to Portland. To me, that that's the that's the that to me is the 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 way the only way this Philly, Philly thing probably works out okay for them is do they Portland decide you know what? There's no way in hell we're getting a player as good as Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard. With all his flaws and all, we I, get Simmons, Maxi, and a bunch of picks. We just got to take it. That's see that. See, do. the problem with that statement is just: uh, Are we sure that they can't get a player as good as Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard? 
I mean, uh, if I mean, you're the, saying uh, look, Adrian, no way I mean, Anthony getting... Davis went for went for the best player in that in trade was Baron Ingram, and that time he wasn't even an All Star. Right. Like this it, notion yeah, that the this can, notion that these teams are giving up stars for other stars, it doesn't really it doesn't happen nearly as often as you think. Paul George went for Shea Gildas Alexander coming off his rookie year. Like, yeah. it's like that trade so, does doesn't happen that often. Where another team like the the Kawhi and De, Demar Derozan trade, like that trade is kind of rare in this new age of player movement. Yeah, and even that was pennies considering. It DeRozan. still was pennies, exactly. Despite well, DeRozan being an all-star. So the problem with, with all of these comparisons is that Lillard is not going to be a free agent next year or the year right. after. So, like, I think this is, the closest comparison would be, like, Kyrie. You know, and, and, and look, we can talk about Kyrie. I mean, the Isaiah Thomas thing. You know, you, you had to get a guy on a bum hip and, and you know, a first-round pick ended up being Colin Sexton. So, really didn't end up being that much. But um, but I think when you're talking about Lillard, I mean, he's Paul George wasn't a free agent. Um, that was a very specific situation, it seems. But, like, he also not as good as Damian Lillard. Um, I think... I think there's going to be quite the bidding war when Damian Lillard becomes available. Um, and so because of that, I think you're going to see a lot of teams push their chips to the table. And maybe Philly's package of Simmons and Maxie and whatever other, maybe Jaden Springer's involved, whatever other prospects they want to throw in there is enticing to Portland. Um, but to me, I don't know if I want to build, if I'm getting rid of Damian Lillard, I don't know if I want to build my team around Ben Simmons. All right, you say um, that, but, I mean, Houston's sitting around. I mean, they got a lot of draft picks, but they don't. They didn't get any players back. Like they, just, like you know, what oh, I'm yeah. saying? Like, uh, that was James. That was James Hard. That was a James Harden trade. That was a yeah, trade that and, apparently Philly's looking for. Yeah, so, and that so was like. So I mean, Portland may have to be botched. realistic as well. That that was botched. Um, I, I tend to no disrespect for Rafael Stone. I mean, I, I think that they had a mindset that look, we're gonna we're gonna draft high, you know, and. Where they're at now is not nearly as bad as they were at five months oh, ago. Oh, I'm excited about the young guys they got in there. You know, and so I, and they're super excited about it. So respect to him, but overall, the package that obviously they got back for James Harden uh, is not. I don't think it should be. Uh, I, I don't think it's exemplary of what you should be able to get back for Dame Lillard. But but look, I mean, look, Simmons is a former All Star, so. And former is like making it sound like he's past his prime. Like he's not even reached his prime. So he's a guy that's made an all star game. Um, there is a conversation there, but I think he's just not the. If I'm building a franchise, if I'm, if I'm, you know, building a roster and starting over essentially, because that's what they'd be doing if they're trading Lillard, I, I think also just psychologically, I don't know if I want my team built around Ben Simmons. Um, I think that he does fit. That that mold of a, either the final piece to a contender or even the f- like the final piece that gets like uh, a, an average below average team above you know over the hump. That's what I think Simmons' value is. I don't know if he's valuable to a team that is starting from the from ground zero, mm-hmm. and that's what Portland would be doing. Um, so that's 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 concerning um, if you're if if you're if you're Portland. Yeah, definitely a situation we'll want to continue to follow, both Philly and Portland, going into this uh, 
regular season training camp. But let's uh let's let's move to the NFL. Let's talk about um, the Patriots and their uh, no longer their QB controversy. They settled it after um, deciding to release Cam Newton on Tuesday and move rookie first round pick Mac Jones into the starting lineup as QB one heading into Week One against the Miami Dolphins. Um, Bill Belichick was asked about Cam's vaccination status because Cam Newton is not vaccinated. And, you know, when we comes down to what happened and how he ended up losing this job that appeared to be his coming into camp, one of the things we we're looking at is the fact that he had to miss five days of training camp due to what the team called a, quote, COVID protocol misunderstanding. Um and, and, and that allowed Mac Jones to get first-team reps, and he really seemed to take charge of the team at that point in time. Looked great in preseason. I mean, the guy was just lighting it up in preseason. I mean, I know Kendall and I, neither of us, and shout-out to Roger Ray, I don't think any of us were uh, at all that thrilled about Mac Jones as a prospect coming into this draft. It is only preseason, but, man, the guy looked lights out. You just got to give credit where credit is due. And we might have to eat crow uh, by the time he actually takes the field. But... You know, it's interesting, Kendall, because I, I, you know, I saw some of the reaction to the the Mac Jones elevation to the starting lineup, and Cam Newton is a very popular player. Um, he's a very polarizing player. He gets a lot of uh, love. He gets a lot of racist garbage. Let's be honest. I mean, you had someone, you, you know, someone from New England uh, on the radio, you know, talking about how you know they think the rap music is distracting him in practice. You know, this is the kind of nonsense we get with Cam Newton. So I think because of that, you have people, fans, and people in the media who are extra protective of him. And I'd argue they should be. Because, again, he faces a lot of racially charged commentary that is inappropriate. With that being said, I was a little taken aback at how so many people were outraged that Cam was released um, in this situation. Because what I kept seeing from folks who were upset was, well... Why didn't they just bench him? And also, how come your boy Kirk Cousins in Minnesota can be unvaxxed, mispracticed, you know, be Kirk Cousins essentially? I'm being nice right now. I want to say something else. Be Kirk Cousins and still keep his job. And, you know, he didn't get cut or benched or anything like that. And I think these folks are not being realistic with where Cam is in his career. Cam Newton is, as we talked about on this podcast one time, a football icon. I would agree with that assessment. He's a a living legend. And in some ways, you could argue a pioneer. But Cam Newton has not had a good football season for three years now. Three years in a row. He was having a good preseason. I'm going to give him that. He was playing pretty well in preseason. But this this is the kind of guy, he's 32 years old. He's not ancient at all. He definitely, you know, is... He's, def, you know, the quarterback position, he should be able to still play some more, though he's had some injury issues. Um, he's not in a position anymore where we're in the, oh, well, he's going to work it out. We're going to see what he's got. I mean, he was on the kind of prove-it deal where you're on your last NFL legs to me. I'm not saying it's fair or just, I'm just telling you what it is. He was fighting for his NFL life with this contract. And... I think Bill Belichick's trying to give him a lot of cover with his comments about, you know, the COVID stuff not taking, you know, any impact in their decision to, to, to cut him. But 
look, you're fighting for your football life, and you don't want to do all it takes to stay on the football field by not getting the vaccine. I'm not even gonna argue with you about the the health situation, but I'm just I'm telling you the facts. Is you you don't want to get the vaccine for whatever reason? You're telling me that being the starting quarterback wasn't as important to you as not taking the vaccine. That's the decision he made. And you're on a team where they just drafted after your play last year. They watched you play and they decided we need to get a quarterback in here. That was their decision. That that was the number one. Whenever a team drafted in the first round, yes, you have teams that are drafting for need. But a lot of times, you drafting a quarterback, I mean, excuse me, drafting best player available. That's what I meant to say. A lot of teams draft best player available. But when you're drafting a quarterback in the first round, that's a team drafting for need. They're looking at the guy that's on the center and saying he ain't cutting it. So your team looked at watched, looked and watched at how you played football last year and said, we're going to have to upgrade the quarterback position at some point. And then they waited forever to sign you. They didn't seem all that enthused or thrilled to try to even bring you back. They bring you back, you play okay, but then you have the issues with not being in camp because of the, you know, the, the COVID misunderstanding, as they're calling it. And this young cat is playing way better than anyone thought he could play. And it forced the Patriots and Belichick into a tough decision. Do we, we want to start Mac because he's clearly good enough and the team is going to be his and he's the future. So do we put Mac in in week one and make Cam go to the bench and then have this kind of, you know, oh, well, if Mac Jones plays poorly, do we bring Cam in? You know, Cam's a megastar. You know, there was issues with Ryan Fitzpatrick behind Tua last year and the controversy that kind of created whenever Tua played poorly, throwing Fitzpatrick in there. Imagine if Cam Newton is the backup quarterback in that situation. Is that conducive to uh, Mac Jones moving forward as the future of the franchise? I don't think anybody who knows anything about football will say that's the case. Um, does Cam Newton want to be a backup quarterback? That, I don't know. That's something he has to answer. But I know he, when he was on uh, the I Am Athlete podcast, he said there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than me. That sounds like a guy who thinks he should start. So, and not to say that he's going to be a bad locker room guy or anything, but these are just things you got to consider. And then the third thing when it came to bringing him in is, does it make sense to have a backup quarterback that's not vaccinated? I think that's a serious question to answer. Because the whole point about a backup quarterback is to be available whenever you need it. Quarterback gets sick, quarterback is in tr- legal trouble, whatever situation is, you need to be available. Because you don't get hit, you don't get touched for weeks. They just need you to be ready whenever you need to, call, need to be called. The idea that y- your guy is not vaccinated may be a concern, considering he's already missed time and considering he had COVID last year. And the reason why I brought up the Kirk Cousins thing was I thought it was just a really bad apples and oranges comparison. Kirk Cousins is guaranteed $30 million this year. He's guaranteed $40 million next year. There's no way the Vikings... And it's clear they don't they don't like him. They, it's clear the coach just, like, barbecued yeah. him in the beginning of training camp for not getting the vaccine. So it's not like they're happy with him. If they could get rid of him, my, they would. We know Mike Zimmer. We saw Mike Zimmer do the same thing with Case Keenum. Right. Where when Case Keenum was playing great, he basically called him a fluke the entire time. And right, yeah. They, yeah, so... so this is not a team that's under some guy that they think they got some. They got Dan Marino, okay? It's not a team that's thrilled that he's not vaccinated. But Dan Fowler's a numbers game. And when I say numbers, and I t- tweeted it today, yesterday, I put numbers in the money sign. Because that's what I mean by the numbers in this standpoint. The guy's owed like $70 million over the next two seasons. You're not going to cut him and just have that be dead money. 
And no, you're not going to bench a guy who you're paying $30 million to play quarterback. It's just not going to happen. The owner is not going to allow it. So Cam did not have that kind of monetary leverage. And in this kind of weirdo situation, it happens to a lot of these guys are in these situations where you're you're a really big star and you're good enough to kind of play. But, you, you know, or do you make sense as a, as a bench player, as a former MVP, as a former superstar, as this big kind of like personality on the team might not make sense so i understood why he got released it doesn't make it i feel bad for him because i think he was playing well and i think he could play in this league still do i think he could play at a super super high level no i didn't think he could i i I thought like it was weird because we talked about in the podcast last year i thought that people just were going crazy about cam newton's gonna you know the, the revival of the Patriots is back because of Cam Newton. I'm like, have they been watching the same guy I've been watching? And sure enough, that did not happen. <laughs> um, but like, but he still can. He still can play a little bit. You know, he still. And I think I wonder if, to me, I feel like he's in like what maybe could be your you know Kurt Warner phase of his career. Maybe this is Kurt Warner like on the Giants or at the end of his years with the Rams, where like he's still he clearly got some game, but he might just need to get to like the perfect situation, the perfect coach. For him to, like, maybe get to, like, a star level still. Because some of the tools are there, but it just seems like there's some physical issues, maybe some mental issues um, in terms of his confidence that, like, are kind of messing with him right now in terms of not letting him get to the level that he once was. So, I mean, I understood the decision. Again, I like Cam Newton. I felt bad to see him get released. I was surprised why so many people were just outraged by this. He's he was fight again a guy fighting for your football life. If you're not going to be the starter, and you don't provide value for me in that regard, I don't know if it made sense for them to be a backup because of all the things I brought up. So, you gave you gave all great points. Um, you know, I feel like when it comes to the outrage, the question I have is is who's who I mean, look, and, and you know, again, we could talk about the the social aspect and the social, you know, thing about this conversation and this this quarterback competition and whatnot or what. But in terms of the outrage, I don't think you're getting necessarily outrage from Patriots fans. So that should tell you a good amount about um, there's there's not a whole lot of you know, the, my thing is that if I was a Patriots fan and this happened to me, would I be would I be super would I be super upset? Not necessarily. Um, my thing is Cam Newton's not the he's not the franchise player. Um, I think people are kind of stuck in this idea that Cam is the guy uh, super, and that Cam is the face the of the guy franchise. that won the MVP. Yeah, and. It's to me like it's it's he's just this wasn't that I mean like you said he was on a prove it deal. Mm-hmm. Um, now look, you can look at this this situation and say so why isn't uh, <laughs> why isn't Cam getting treated like Andy Dalton's getting treated in Chicago? I mean, you know, look that's a conversation we can have. Uh, I don't think I think most of the people that you know that that wanted Mac Jones to play, probably also want Justin Fields to play. I don't think that, I don't think it's like those things. I think there's also the conversation to be had too about like, there's Bill Belichick, a guy who runs an organization well, and then there's the Bears. 
That's a conversation. <laughs> yeah, and then there's then there's a conversation. Oh, we don't know if Andy Dalton's vaccinated. I assume. Oh, that's true too. He is, but we don't know. But uh, you know, if he is, then that that again is a factor. And shout out to Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer catches a lot of flack for a lot of reasons. Some some of them, you know, you know, he puts on himself. A lot of them warranted, uh, I, to be fair. Yeah. yeah, but he shouldn't have. I don't think he should have got a heat for him saying that. Oh yeah, guys, vaccination status. Why factor? I totally agree with you on that. That that that's the least now look, controversial. Thing you're gonna have to you're gonna have to deal with the smoke from the players union. Like I, right. I, I mean, legally, the players union talking... is totally within their right to make. They're saying okay, well now we're gonna do agreements against you. I I have no issue with that even. I may fundamentally yeah, disagree, but that's within not... their right. Now that he right. said if that, talking... but he was being real. Public opinion, I don't care. Yeah, yeah no, hundred yeah. percent. He's only he's only telling the truth. Yeah, you know, if we're talking about playing this game, you know, like. It, and what he said isn't even that, like, again, it's not, I mean, look, it's controversial with some people. Not necessarily that controversial with me. But it's it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that, you know, I think all these NFL teams are having. Um, and it's it's something that I think hurt Cam Newton in this situation. Um, I, I feel like I'm not as confident that he's going to find a landing spot anytime soon. Um, with that being said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad at the quarterback position in the NFL. Um, we know that every year there's two or three teams that have stop gaps. We saw we we see the situation Indian, Indianapolis is in where Carson Wentz gets hurt, and then they're down to Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger, uh, and then Sam Ellinger gets hurt in the preseason, and now Wentz is coming back it seems, so they may be yeah, good. But then Wentz got COVID, so then that set him back. Exactly, and. You know, there's just there there are a lot of there are a lot of factors, and then like you said, when you throw in the COVID aspect, now depth at the quarterback position is even more important. So mm-hmm. it's not impossible that Cam ever you know never plays again, but you know, and I don't really like digging into a guy's vaccination status, but that's that that that's a, that's gonna play a this factor. Is where in we're at, future. yeah. You know, that's that's where we're at when the NFL makes the rules the way they are, where you know you may have to forfeit a game if. Right, there's an outbreak yeah. because of a because of a of an unvaccinated player, and uh, you know the quarter. You know the unvaccinated players can't interact with their teammates the same way uh, a vaccinated player can. And if you're talking about a guy as a quarterback, and you mentioned the the availability aspect of it, um, all of these factors are, are things that these teams are taking into consideration. Um, so it's unfortunate. Um, uh, you mentioned the Mac Jones part of it, and Mac Jones is a guy that I, you know, like you mentioned, w- was not the biggest fan of coming into this draft. Not necessarily that I had a, a negative opinion, but I think that I was just lower on him than what seemed to be the collective opinion of the media. Uh, I don't even know. It was just like, I, I can't even say it was the media. It was kind of just this weird innuendo around NFL circles that Mac Jones was, you know. Was that dude, yeah. Yeah, it was it was arguably the best guy in the draft, and that, you know, I I just vehemently disagreed with, and he ended up getting drafted where, you know, I had him on my QB board, um, and on, in a situation that made a lot of sense for him, but it's not a surprise to me that he's a guy that could be a day one starter. Um, it has surprised me, I think how, how good he's been. He's played better than I would have expected. Um, I don't. I still don't expect him to light the world on fire, but 
I think we have to look back to some guys that were that have been in his peer group of, you know, first round quarterbacks. Even looking back to last year, in Justin Herbert and uh, Joe Burrow, and those guys also four year college players um, who came in and were able to assimilate to the NFL game really easy, really quickly. Um, obviously, Tua took a little bit more time. Uh, he he plays had a good preseason, but obviously last year was a little bumpy. But uh, there are other factors that that certainly uh, were at play with Tua's uh, development, his right. process. But yeah, hip injury, uh, with the, yeah, with the hip injury. Um, but with, with Mac Jones, I mean, you know, I wasn't the biggest Justin Herbert fan, you know, and I mean. There's no reason to believe that uh, he necessarily he's not the he doesn't have the physical talent that Justin that Justin Herbert has no question but um, production wise what he was able to do at Alabama uh, is certainly on that level um, it, I guess the question that New England has to have is does Mac Jones legitimately give us the best chance to win football game I don't know if that's the case um, I think. I think the vaccination thing was uh, was the last straw. Um, wow. I think if Cam Newton was vaccinated, I think he'd be the starting quarterback. And really? again, don't like having to talk about that, but I think it's I think it's the truth. You know, there are people that make the case. No, like Mac Jones won this job. I think he yes, won the job. that's my opinion. You know, he he definitely helped his case by playing as well as he did. But my thing is what it, what was the point of bringing back Cam Newton? I, I don't was, think they thought he was. I didn't think they thought Mac Jones was that good. I'm being honest. Right. I think they, they thought that they were impressed by him. Good. They thought he could be the future. I think that they were. They they liked him, but I think they thought he would take some time before he would really be ready to step on the field. I think that they were pleasantly surprised when they he got on the field and was lighting up the way he did. I think they realized yeah. there was no need for a Cam Newton on this team anymore. Like that, yeah. Just there was no need for it. I think the vaccination, right. and all that stuff, mattered too. But I think for them, it was just a simple decision of like, what is the point of of having this, uh, this level of character and this level of stature at the quarterback position on the team if we're if we know the guy we want is ready to play today, and you know, I think they made. I, I think they made the right. I think they made the right decision. That's what they came down to. Yeah, and to me. I don't put as much value in Cam Newton, Cam Newton's presence playing a factor, or Cam Newton playing a negative factor. I don't, maybe Belichick does. I don't know how Belichick operates. Uh, it seems like he liked Cam, but I don't know. You know, say that, but then he, he also cut him. You know, so you know clearly he wasn't you know team captain uh, in Belichick's mind. But like, I, I feel like the way I would think about it is that Cam being as experienced and as good as he's been in his career um, would be a good guy to have around Mac Jones, um, a good guy to have in the building. Now, look, they've got Brian Hoyer in the building, whatever that means. But, you know, Brian Hoyer just wouldn't be able to speak to the, the you know, being the face of a franchise like Mac Jones is going to have to do. And, we'll, and look, we'll see how, how it plays out. I mean, you know. I mean, I I hope the kid balls out. It's 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 gonna be a tough job. Um, 
you know, but the division is 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 not completely wide open because Buffalo is right there, but yeah, I mean, uh, Buffalo is a class of the division right now. But there's but for that number two spot at the quarterback position, we've got two three young guys with Wilson Jones and, and Tua now, um, that are are vying to to jump into that that conversation with Allen, and all three of them had fairly strong preseasons. Um, yeah, I mean that's one thing I love about the. Uh... The AFC East right now. I mean, you got the you know the young superstar and Allen, but then all four quarterbacks. It's like a it's like a true reboot of the AFC East. It's like yeah, man. Don't you miss the the days of where it was like Drew Bledsoe and Chad Pennington <laughs> and Jay Fiedler. Yeah, that was a long time ago, Great. man. We're we're in a new era. Uh, Belichick was licking, licking his chops oh, back yeah. in those days, man. Yes, yeah, uh, I mean he's now now he's the one with the. <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> The Jay Fiedler, well, at least, you know, he doesn't think so, but that's what we thought going into this uh, arrangement. And we thought, you know, Allen was the one looking at his chops now. But I think I, I am really excited about the AFC East moving forward with all the young guys that got in there. And um, and uh, we'll have to see what Mac Jones does in his uh, first season. But let's uh, let's quickly go through some of the stuff with the college football season. So week one is coming up. There will be some games on Thursday. Some games, a lot of games on Saturday. This is kind of one of the best games on Friday as well. This is one of the best week one slates I've ever seen for college football. You know, to me, it starts with, you know, Friday when you got North Carolina going to Virginia Tech. They're number, uh, North Carolina's number 10 in the country. Penn State's going to Wisconsin on Saturday. Um, you got uh, Alabama. Thursday. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, you got um, Miami, obviously, versus Alabama. In Atlanta, Indiana going to Iowa, uh, Louisiana going to Texas, and that's like a sneaky, uh, really okay. good game. Um, Louisiana is obviously not necessarily as heralded as Texas, but they're ranked number three in the twenty-three in the country, so um, definitely one to pay attention to. And the, the nightcap is just a, a beast. We talk about number five Georgia gets number three Clemson. Uh, well, which game do you, are you kind of like? Keeping your eye on are those uh are those are those top games we have this weekend. LSU also goes to UCLA as well later tonight. Yeah, um, that's a really good matchup. The one you just mentioned, yeah. I mean, UCLA looked terrific in their Week Zero game against uh Hawaii. Um, there's a sneaky sort of feeling that this might be the year for Chip Kelly kind of really turn it around turn his not only turn the ucla program around but turn, turn his coaching his career around yeah yeah because it's been a really a mess since he yeah, left it's been, it's been scary hours man yeah <laughs> i mean and this is kind of his last chance before yeah. he ends like like rich rod <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> like you know because that happens i mean look at rich yeah. rodriguez who would have thought that rich rodriguez after his time at west virginia with pat white would like that oh yeah we fast forward like 10 years 10, 13 years, and he's he's not going to be. He, I mean, he's now he's 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 the interim head coach at at Louisiana Monroe, and it's like who? Yeah. No way. Yeah, you know that's like saying that about now. That's like saying that about like Matt Campbell. Like yeah, right. Matt Campbell, who's been taking all these taking all these NFL yeah, interviews. Yeah, yeah. Thirteen years from now, he's going to be at the bottom of the barrel. Like yeah. that's that, where that's Chip Kelly. That's where his career is going right now. That's where Chip Carroll, yeah, Chip Kelly. If this is a, a three, four win year, and he's not going to be able to get another Power Five job. So, um, so yeah, this is a huge, huge year for UCLA. But um, 
they've got a real they've got a real squad and LSU is also at a real a weird sort of turning point for their program because they just won a national championship but I still don't know if coach O is safe you know that it's yeah, crazy to say yeah, they followed it up with a really down season some controversy yeah, Yes, you had some. Yeah, you had a lot of the controversy. Um, you had a, a scenario where I think you had people wondering: was this a a lightning in a bottle, lightning in a bottle situation, where you had a superstar quarterback that you didn't even you recruited him as a transfer, but you didn't recruit him out of high school. Um, a crazy collection of talent in the wide receiver position. Yeah, yeah, just just an all, on all time offensive talent. Um, you know, offensive personnel, uh, and then a, a coordinator who's not there anymore, right. Joe Brady. You know, so that's the question, and they're trying to dip back into that Joe Brady magic by bringing in some uh, guys who were with Joe Brady in Carolina, who were with Joe Brady at LSU, as you know, analysts and stuff like that, who are now, you know, back as offensive coordinators. Um. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if their offense looks better. But um, to me, to answer your question, the matchup that I am most looking forward to is, I mean, look, it's got to be it's got to be that the big one. It's got to be Georgia and Clemson. Um, you know, I, I feel like very rarely do you have a week one matchup where there are legitimately two teams that you expect that that I mean, in the playoff era, two teams you expect very easily be in the playoff and had they not been playing each other would be even more likely to, to be in the playoff um i i feel like clemson is is one of those four teams that you one of those four programs that you just automatically expect to be in that in that top four at the end of the season um they feel like they've been in the playoff almost every year since the playoff has been around um, Dabo Sweeney's program is is the closest thing we we have to Alabama and uh, what Nick Saban's built, and you know I mean, but they're they're replacing you know arguably the greatest quarterback in 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 school history, and 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 you know replacing him with a guy in DJ Uyangalale who's uh, some may argue even more physically gifted than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, so, um, but with that being said, his first, not his first start because we saw him play, uh, against Boston college and Notre Dame last year, but his first start this season and his first start as the guy on that team is against arguably one of the best defensive teams in college football, one of the best defensive coaches in college football and Kirby smart. And on the others, the other side at quarterback, you got a guy in JT Daniels who is experienced and is on a lot of NFL radars. Uh, coming into this college football season, so um, you know it, it. That's really going to be the question for Georgia is at, at quarterback. Kirby Smart hasn't been able to figure out that position um, really since he's gotten the job. You know, Jake yeah. Fromm. You know, he he inherited a quarterback room that had Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm, and he also brought in Justin Fields <laughs> at his second year. Yeah. And he, he's found way he's found a way to not essentially ever have a great quarterback. I mean, again, Fromm was really good as a rookie, uh, as a freshman, and I mean, as a sophomore, he was good. He was good. He just wasn't spectacular, as we've seen in college football in the playoff era. 
you pretty much need a spectacular or at least a really, really good quarterback to win a national championship. And yeah. Georgia hasn't had that, but they hope that JT Daniels could be that guy. Yeah, I think that... Um, and again, ironic that they had Justin Fields in the room and uh, they didn't... <laughs> he he could have been that guy, but you know, they, they moved on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that obviously the Clemson-Georgia matchup is a obvious uh, heavyweight battle. Um, Clemson it comes in with questions because when you lose an ETN and a Lawrence, obviously you're like, okay, well, you know, how will these guys fare who are replacing them? But um, you mentioned how talented DJ is at quarterback. We saw, you know, the, the the game he had against Notre Dame when he actually got to start and was just completely lights out and just scared the hell out of everybody possible for you. Like, oh, man, this is, we got, this is what we're looking forward to when Terrell Lawrence is gone. I think everybody was like, okay, when Lawrence is gone, maybe Clemson will take a step back. And he dropped 400, 400 yards against Notre Dame on the road in a night game. And you're like, oh, man, well, that's going to be fun next year when he gets the full reins and, and learns even more about the game as an older player. Um, you know, but Georgia, obviously, JT Downs, they're really excited about him. These are two Southern California quarterbacks. Uh, who, who went down south uh, to, to try to find a, a college football, uh, 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 you know, uh, superiority. So it would be interesting to see that battle. You know, I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan, so I got to mention uh, the Hurricanes going up against Alabama and Atlanta. And I think for um, Saban's crew, the number one team in the country, it's for a very good reason. We saw uh, the deep the depth they had in the National Championship game last year. But they're going out there with a, a very new offense. Uh, a lot of the skill players are, are very different, um, and they're going. They're not coming into Week One against a cupcake. You know, Miami is a, a formidable team, but you know they can kind of be wary in these big games. I think for the the, the program, the University of Miami, it feels like they've had good moments in these last five years or so, but. It seems like whenever they got to these games, when it was like, okay, the big measuring stick game of are they really back? Is the U back? Is the question we keep asking. They never seem to be able to compete on that level. And to me, it never looked like they had the athletes or the players to compete at that level. It looked like every time they got to that game, it was clear they overachieved before they got to that game. Um, we saw that last year, I think, against Clemson. Uh, we've seen it now a couple times against Clemson. So last season in Clemson, we saw it a couple years ago in the AC Championship game. Um, I think we've seen it in some of these bowl games, uh, the Orange Bowl against Wisconsin a couple years ago. And, you know, now, I mean, there's just no smoke dodging when it comes to, like, is Miami back? I mean, we're going to find out <laughs> um, at 3.30 in Atlanta and ABC when you go up against a Titan like Alabama. But if there's anything in terms of if you're a Miami fan that you hang your hat on is, well, this may be, this may be the rare time that you may have the best player on the field that's and against a team like Alabama, because you look at De'Ara yeah. King and how a season he is. He is coming off an ACL injury. He's coming off a short turnaround. I think you know Terry's ACL in January. But you look at De'Ara King and his experience and his uh, skill set at the quarterback position, and he's the most accomplished player on the field, whether it be Alabama yeah, like or Miami. Yeah, like trophy. Like yeah, yeah. Bryce Young may have higher odds just because you know Alabama and hype and whatnot, but. You know, Derrick Derek King is also in that top six or seven guys, yeah. and he's not. He, he's not. He's doing more decorated. Life. You know, he's we've seen yeah, him. We've seen his body at work at Miami and at Houston. So, 
you know, if you if you're gonna whenever you're gonna pull off an upset like this, you, you're gonna need a special quarterback to make that happen. Miami has a special quarterback. Will he be special in this game against these monsters? I, I think we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I think the, I think the Penn State going to Wisconsin is an interesting game too. Penn State normally starts a lot of game years with cupcakes, and going on the road to Wisconsin in Week One is not normally the kind of tough game I'm used to seeing them play this year. Really, either team, both those teams usually start with cupcakes in the middle of the season. That's a really good. Uh, first week one game as well, but when it comes to uh, 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 a uh, a top four for the playoffs and championship, who who do you have? One thing I want to add real quick about mm-hmm. that Alabama game, um, besides the fact that they're also in you know incorporating a new office coordinator and Bill O'Brien, yeah. who you know we'll see. You know, last time I saw him, he wasn't doing a, he wasn't wasn't you know the second coming of uh, Bill Walsh, but it's also an Alabama, you know, team that, yeah, you know, the program. he's driving a Ferrari now. So Yeah, he's driving a Ferrari. You know, Lane Kiffin yeah. also wasn't Bill Walsh, and, you know, he made them electric. So, yeah. uh, but besides that, think about all the talent they lost, EJ. Um, they tied the Miami record with, what, five or six? It was six first-round picks in one in one draft. And I I went back, and I was like, all right, that Miami team, how did they do the next season? Mm. They were 11-2, and two, and then that next year only won nine games, which, again, only won nine games, right. you know. But at that time, that standard, that Miami big, hadn't that was a big fall won nine games, you know, until, you know, it's, before that was 99 was the last time they won nine. So uh, that was a big deal. And if this Alabama team won nine games, that would be a, that would be a shock. That would be her shattering, a, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a disappointment, and this is this is again. If there's any time you want to play this team, it's them after losing six first round picks. Yeah, and their offensive coordinator um, is brand, and most of their offensive coaching staff. Um, that is, this is this is this is a team that is right for the taking. Look at LSU last year, another team that had five first round picks, and look at what they were uh, the year after Joe Burrow. They were a mess, and not only again, not only the year after Joe Burrow, but the year after Joe Brady which may be even more important. So, yeah. uh, you know, this will be interesting to see how this Alabama team looks. Um, if they don't win this game, which I think is possible. I don't think really? You think it's possible? You know, I think it's possible. I know wow. I'm talking myself into it um, as we're going through it. Um, I think it's possible, but I don't think that would necessarily put, be the nail in the coffin if that happened. Um, if they do win this game and they look impressive, that would tell me more. Than if they lost this game, um, yeah, I think I think the one thing in terms of, uh, and it's a great I think it's a great first week test for Alabama um, because they're going against an extremely seasoned team. Miami's whole offensive line is very seasoned. Talent sometimes has been up and down, but they got a great left tackle who's NFL, uh, who may be an NFL first round pick. Um, we talked about King. The backfield they have a senior. Cam Harris and two young sophomores who are studs. So they had a great backfield, um, experienced receiving core, uh, and defense are experienced in the back end. They have an excellent safety in Bubba Bolden, who may be an All-American. So this is a this is not a team. They, the only place they're really young is on defensive end and linebacker. I mean, that's for, really it. For, this is a very experienced team Diaz, to against. Does Manny Diaz need to have a good showing in this game for his um, own – I don't think so. I, I think. I, I mean. I think maybe for me, I feel like 
I mean, I'm a Miami fan, but this is Alabama. So I, I feel right. like a blowout feels inevitable. So no, but I tell you what, like if they really compete in this game, I think you have Miami fans really believing maybe for the first time, like unconditionally that Manny Diaz will bring this program back. I think Miami fans that kind of have PTSD, like I said, they've been in these games recently where you think they're back and they've kind of failed to show they haven't even competed. You know what I'm saying? It hasn't even been like, oh, well, will they fight? Like, will they like they have a close game and lose? Like, they haven't been in it. They weren't in it in the two games they played in Clemson against Clemson the last few years. Um, you know, they really weren't in it against Wisconsin. Uh, we saw what happened against North Carolina last year. They have an opportunity to um, to you know go to the Orange Bowl and and North Carolina runs for like 500 yards. Like, you know, they just they just they're just not in these kind of games. So. The PTSD in me tells me I, I, I don't want to maybe judge Manny on just this game because I don't know if they're there yet. Is there an excuse for him not to be there? Maybe there isn't. This is his third year. He's taken all the reins as defensive coordinator. Um, I think he's hired a really good offensive coordinator. Red Lashley did a good job last year. I know he's moved around some of the coaching staff. And, he again, he has a very experienced group. So the argument could be, look, you're the number 14 team in the country. You shouldn't just get be getting your, blown, your doors blown off. You know, against the number one team. You know, yeah, fair or unfair. Like, right. It's Alabama, though. That's how I look at it. It's like it's Alabama. Like, I get the number one team. I get minus fourteen, but this is the kind of team that makes the number three team look bad. You know, we saw what they did to you know Clemson. You know, so uh, yeah. in Ohio State, rather, you know, who they played last year. Like, you know, I, right. I just don't know if this is the right game. But I do, I do agree with your notion that like the. If there's any time you want to play Alabama, this is the time. I mean, you're being thrown in the pressure cooker, but yeah, you don't want Alabama when they got all their ducks in a row in week eight and they know what they're doing and <laughs> they're very seasoned. Yeah. Now maybe they're beat up, but you're more beat up. You know, now you come in the game 100 percent healthy. Like this is like this is a shot. You know, um, it's not. It's going to be a very partisan crowd. Uh, that is not going to be a friendly crowd to Miami. So that's going to feel like a road game. It's uh, it's going to be a wild atmosphere, and you know, uh. Alabama's Those first couple possessions are going to set the tone of the game. If Bryce Young comes out and he just shreds Miami's defense in those first couple drives, it's a wrap. But if, if Miami can hang in there defensively, they're going to be able to compete with them offensively. But defensively, if they can get stops, stops yeah. then they I, have I, a I told, I told you, I feel like the game is going to be one or loss in the trenches. If you know, Alabama's bringing in some they're, – they're breaking in some new tackles, some new offensive linemen. If if Miami can get some pressure with some of their young pass rushers, and then stop the run to some degree, because they there have been times again last year they've been steamrolled. Uh, they steamrolled the game's over. You know, they can hold their own and maybe get some pressure. Uh, and then at the, on the other end, they can handle Alabama's pressure. Then they're gonna have a shot. The one thing I've seen though is that Miami's offense is they executed well, but it's very simplistic. I would be curious if there's going to be really enough wrinkles against a Nick Saban defense to make it work. I don't know if Red Lash can kind of do the simple stuff they were doing last year and score against Alabama. They can score against <laughs> Pitt, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because they have great athletes, and, you know, they're better than teams like that. But, you, you know, you wonder, you think in the year two of Red Lash, the offense coordinator, the new offense, you'll see that jump in kind of throwing more wrinkles in, a little more complexity. But, the, you know, that system isn't very complex. Like, it's just not. So, 
again, with the players Miami have, which are good players, but are they Alabama-level players? I don't think anybody would argue that. Can you win that kind of way against this kind of team? The only way you can is if your Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback plays it up to that level. Will he? We'll have to wait and see. But um, but when it comes to the college football playoff, for me, the four teams I'm going with, I'm going with Alabama. I'm going with uh, Clemson. I'm taking Iowa State. And between Ohio State and Wisconsin. I'll I'll take Ohio State. I'll say the team in the I'll see a team in the top four that gets knocked out is Oklahoma. They're right now number two. You think you got Iowa State over over OU. That's 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 been a an interesting sort of sleeper kind of pick. Um they were in a dog fight against them last year. That was a hell of a game man. They should have probably one of the best games of the year. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I heard, I want to say it was Bruce Feldman. I forgot who someone, someone made the case that Oklahoma is, yes, they're, they're like, they're, you know, the favorite quote unquote, you know, they may be the preseason number one or two, in a lot of people's eyes, but you know, their, 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 their momentum at the end of the season was, was fake momentum, you know, because they, again, they barely beat Iowa state, um, you know they uh, they beat um, what you call it. They beat Florida in the bowl game in in a for a Florida team that treated it like it was a spring game basically. Like they yeah. they nobody played. Kyle Pitts, you know, all these dudes opted out. Trask was something was wrong with Trask. I don't know what was wrong with Trask, but he just looked a mess. And they they won. They steamrolled them. But I think that's where a lot of the momentum is coming from. Uh, and of course, look, you've got your quarterback back, so I so I get it. But um, and a lot of people feel like Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback in the country. I do feel like, and I don't know if you you sense this, but I feel like a lot of that opinion on Rattler has been more so by default, as much as it is, you know, what he Rattler is this amazing quarterback. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it's yeah. well, you know, he's the best guy that we know and you know, that we've seen, and he's on the best team of the guys that we've seen. You know. Exactly. And the other guys that people are putting in this conversation are going to be guys that we haven't seen, like Leonga Lele and Bryce Young. So, um, and CJ Stroud at Ohio State. So, so yeah, I mean, that's that's been a lot of the the, the thing that people default to. Um, my top four, uh, I, I agree with Alabama. Um, I agree with uh, Clemson. Um, I'm actually going to go with. Oregon, uh, coming Oregon out of the past has been a sexy pick too. Yeah, um, and I and I am gonna go with OU. Um, okay, I, I think so. You think that Oregon's beating Ohio State next week? Yeah, yeah, that, that's Oregon where we get there. there. <laughs> Basically, okay. right? I didn't have Ohio State. Right. Um, I you know I don't I don't know about this Ohio State team. You know they. They feel like they're kind of a year. They're they're in a transition year where I, look next year they're gonna be incredible. Uh, I almost went with Wisconsin because that because of that. I know. I think this if there's any year I think Ohio State gets to thrown in the Big Ten. This is the year. Yeah, yeah. I do like Wisconsin. I think I like Wisconsin to beat Penn State. 
Um, I agree. I like the quarterback, Graham Mertz, uh, and Paul Chris. Wisconsin is one of those programs. Shout out to Paul Chris. I nearly, I don't have nearly the disdain for him that I do for other former pit coaches uh, like Todd Graham. But um, the 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 thing about Wisconsin is that sometimes you have to just ignore the personnel and just you just know the style of play. You know, um, he's got the program. He's got the program rolling. Um, he can make the most out of the lesser amount of talent. So I agree that if there's any team that and again, he's got it. This is the first time. He, I mean, this is the best quarterback the Wisconsin program has had since Russell Wilson. So, um, at least the most talented quarterback. So, you know, if there's any, I agree, if there's any chance that uh, any team's t- taking down uh, Ohio State is Wisconsin. But, but yeah, Ohio State, they're a team in transition. Uh, I don't know if CJ Stroud, I mean, look, he's just not going to be Justin Fields. And that's not, that's not a knock, but Fields was. You know, an incredible college football player, incredible college football quarterback. So, the expectation that he's going to do what Fields did uh, is, is to me, is a little bit is a slight on Justin Fields. I mean, Fields was the number one or two player coming out of high school, where Shroud was a four star. So, again, asking him to do what Fields has done uh, is, is is bold. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, I think I think this is a situation where we're gonna where we're gonna see Oregon. Um, Oklahoma and then look Oklahoma I think I think Rattler well yes the right now the opinion is mostly by default he's the best quarterback in the country I think what we're going to see is him take a lot of strides uh as a quarterback under Lincoln Riley I mean this is you know he's gonna be one of the few guys that will have been a multi-year starter and multi-year player under Lincoln Riley at quarterback um and that's gonna that's gonna pay dividends. I think we're gonna see a far more mature Spencer Rattler out there. And um, yeah. uh, no, I'll let you go. No, yeah, I, no, and I, I, no, I, I think Rattler will have a good season. I think that he'll be one of the uh, one of the better players in the in the country. I think he'll be a Heisman candidate uh, finalist. What worries me, about Oklahoma, is their schedule is uh, is it's just like. It's tough. No, it's the opposite. I think. I, I think it's oh. it's terrible. And I, I think that actually will hurt them. <laughs> you don't think Nebraska is a tough matchup, EJ? <laughs> uh, no. Um, no, I think that I think that their schedule is terrible. And I actually think that's going to hurt them against a team like Iowa State. I know you're getting them right. at home, but you're going to have to play them probably twice in three days, in three in three weeks. And Iowa State is going through. They're going through the ringer. They're not. You know. They're not like. You know. Um, they're not, they're not kind of like, oh, we're going to just, you know, go out there and whatever. Like, you know, for whatever reason, that Northern Iowa game has always been very weird for them. So that's not an easy first game. I don't know why, but Northern Iowa seems to always give them trouble. Uh, and oh, then yeah. they play Iowa next week. So, and Iowa is a team that thinks they can get to the Big Ten Championship game. So they'll have, they'll be tested in the non-conference. Okay, we know the conference is not good. But uh, they kind of get tougher towards the end of their schedule where you got Texas, then you got to add Texas Tech. Then you get to, on the road to OU before you do TCU. I think they'll be more battle-tested by the time you get to a Big 12 championship game, which I think will end up being probably the deciding factor in who gets that last you know playoff spot, potentially. So Oklahoma, you know, putting out this, you know, just like just softest Carvel schedule, I think may actually hurt them. You know, Tulane and Western Carolina and Nebraska – 
I mean, that's just not going to cut it in terms of getting yourself ready for, you know, primetime football. And the Big 12 schedule is just the Big 12 is not that good. You know, there aren't a lot of tests, you know. So I yeah. think the Texas game is going to be tough because of that, you know, because they're going to be playing teams that they're going to just run roughshod over. And then you play Texas team that's that they're going to take it seriously. We don't we never know what Texas is from year to year, but we know that game. Yeah. They play hard and they play they play. So and they the almost one team I won mention. last year. For the playoffs, before we get to the Heisman, is um, Cincinnati is going to be an interesting team to follow, man. I mean, last year I they went true. unbeaten, but the nature of the pandemic didn't allow them to play any non-conference opponents. So um, it was tough for them to make a make a case for the playoff. This and they season, start this year at number eight. So yeah, you start jump. the season at number eight. They've got matchups in the non-conference against Notre Dame and, and Indiana. Indiana. So. Right. It's hard for me to believe. I mean, look, Indiana has a early season matchup against I, f- I forget who, but they play somebody. They play uh, Iowa non- week one. Yeah, they play Iowa. Yeah, exactly. They play Iowa <laughs> this week, uh, yeah. and Notre Dame's got Florida State, and Notre Dame plays a bunch of tough teams. So, look, if those those teams don't do their job, it won't help Cincinnati. But even if they don't, even if both teams you know win eight games or less, then. I still think Cincinnati starting the season as high as they are, they do run the table. I think they'll be in the playoffs. So I tend to they're agree. They're going to pay attention. I just don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame personally, but we'll we'll know more before that game comes. But, but good for them yeah. that they got the Notre Dame game on their schedule this year um, to give them that opportunity. Because I agree. I think that that becomes, yeah. in some ways, that's like a playoff game. I think whoever loses that game is out. But you're not making the playoffs. Oh, you know, so, so, and that's what I love about college football is, you know, because – I know in some ways, if you expand, maybe you'd lose that a little bit. But in some ways, some of these early games end up being pseudo playoff games. And we always yeah. say that, but like the bubble always expands. We we said it. We said it with college basketball. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if you expand, then you know the bubble gets worse, and the bubble, the bubble is always the bubble. Has, yeah. Did the bubble change when we went from sixty four to sixty eight, EJ? Not really. It, not really. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's still always going to be four teams that. That that feel like they should have made so it. So they should be in, given the, given yeah, given the rules. Yeah, given the parameter. Given oh, yeah. how did this team make it before us? So yeah, it, it'll be it'll the 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 bubble will be a lot more meaningless for a team like Ohio State or an Alabama. But for but the teams that are 13, 14, 15 in a twelve team playoff are still going to feel like they were slight. It's still going to feel like it was all against them. So um, that's my. 30-second die drop. Uh, my champion is... Uh, I'm going with Clemson. And I think DJ's going oh. to Heisman, too. Yeah, I think I mean, Clemson, that would put him on Clemson's track ability to play up front. Yeah. And Justin Ross on the outside coming back from his very serious injury. Uh, I think Clemson's offense is still going to be excellent. And they, they always play good defensively. Yeah, I think I think there's I think there's a lot I think there's a lot of turnover Alabama, and and that's a very tough SEC to kind of get through. I, I don't I think that, I think that I don't think they're gonna win it all. I, it's funny because, like Clemson's defense wasn't national championship good last year. No, uh, they were young, but now they're they're older. Yeah, um, they were in a transition after losing. You know. The guys they lost on that, you know, team with Isaiah Simmons and um and uh AJ Terrell and those guys. But 
Um, I I feel like the defensive line, especially guys that were freshmen last year that were playing, are now going to be, you know, their best players on defense, and it's going to be scary. But uh, I I I agree that I think this is going to come down to Alabama and Clemson again. Um, if I were to guess, it's hard to guess a national championship because you don't know who the what the order of the four teams is going to be. But if I had to guess, those would be the top two teams. Um, and I think Alabama wins it. Uh, and we're we're in, we're on the same we're on the same path because I got Bryce Young winning the Heisman. Um, you know, I I feel like this this Bryce Young at Alabama reminds me of when Tua got there. And it was like, oh, this is a this is a quarterback they haven't had, you know. And then they got Tua, and people saw like, you know, remember I was talking about Tua when he got there, saying they're getting a guy that they've never had before, and this is gonna right. be, yeah, you know, if if and when he gets on the field, this is gonna be scary. Um, last year they went Mac Jones. It, it was more about the the players they had around him. Um, and they, he doesn't have that Bryce Bryce Young in terms of the talent around him. Uh, no slight to the guys on the roster now, but last year they had you know three or four first round picks around him. Um, but I think he's a more talented guy and a more talented player. And so, yeah, I think he's going to win the Heisman. Um, and I think the Alabama is going to win the national championship. But uh, if they do, this would be a this is going to be a tougher national championship than they've won in years past. Like this isn't going to be, this will be more like, like, like Duke, Duke winning it with, with like Tyus Jones and those guys. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, yeah, they may not even be like the most dominant team in the country, but, um, but I feel like, you know, A&M is going to be tough for them to beat. You know, we know, I, don't think, all I mean, they always, else. they always crush A&M though. I, I'm not, <laughs> Easy, I'm like, not believing I'm not believing in A&M as a threat to Alabama until I see it. And as, I haven't seen, good haven't seen it since Manziel was was uh, doing money signs in uh, in Tuscaloosa. It's been a long time. Mike Evans was still there. Like it's yeah, <laughs> it's been right. A long yeah, time. I know that might be the more important piece of that. Uh, right. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Uh, but the, we we know the narrative. I think I agree. I think they're going to beat A&M. But I think the narrative is going to be that oh, this is going to be. Yeah, a lot of people are circling that game. I'm not. I I, I think they're gonna um, crush it now. They always do. And then, you know, in the SEC West, so obviously you've got your LSU and you have your your uh, Auburn. You know, yep. uh, and Ole Miss is going to be a tough tough matchup yep. as well, or again, relatively tough. <laughs> but yeah. but um, as one of those things where it's just a war of attrition. You play these teams week in and week out. You know, you know you can't you can't you blink. feel like numbers. Yeah, you know you can't blink. So, you know these are not again like pushover games. You know. You know, you get banged up. That's why it's less Clemson healthy. Is, Clemson is not a big advantage because they just have so many Miami games that just aren't competitive. On their schedule. They don't have Carolina, Miami, or um, Notre Dame on the schedule. So yeah. easy money. You, know, <laughs> you dodge the best teams in the conference, the most talented teams in the conference. You know, I mean, look, Kenny Pickett has, may have something to say, uh, but outside of Pitt, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, and first of all, last thing before we get to the before we get to the, the Heisman. Well, I guess we already said the Heisman. But last thing I, that I'll say about this is that North Carolina, people talk about fake momentum. They are the epitome, I think, of fake momentum. What what are they ranked? Like like eleven 
or something like that, 10? I mean, it's ridiculous. And Sam Howell, I mean, look, they're bringing back the quarterback. And they, but they're losing almost everything else. Yeah, they so lost I don't, everything else. You know, their offense, they lost their top receiver. They lost their two top running backs to the NFL. Um, and they lost a lot on defense. I, I don't know how, I don't know. Again, yeah, you bring back your quarterback, and your coach. And now Max is recruited okay, so I think there's right. a hope that he'll be fine talent wise. These kids that have, have been kind of waiting in the wings, or guys who maybe are getting there this year, will actually come in and play. But it's college football, you know, and and we gotta see how the those ACC, kids have developed over these years. The ACC is a pushover of a conference for Clemson. Yes, but it's not a pushover for North. For North no, Carolina. not for and North Carolina. Not, know, for Miami, not for anybody else in that conference. It's not a pushover. Right, you know the team that like has been viewed as a team that this conference should be a pushover and it's just not. Yeah. You like sure. a game against Boston college for North, for Notre Dame, for, uh, for North Carolina or Miami. is not an easy game. No A game against, you know, I mean, Georgia tech should be an easy game, but a game against Louisville is not it's just going to be a, a pushover. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 if you're asking me who's the biggest flop of the season, I, I, I can guarantee you it's going to be Carolina. It's and I like tough. Sam Howell, you know, all things considered. I think right. he's going to be a, a, a good NFL prospect, but uh, he doesn't have the, the, the pieces. Yeah, we'll, we'll stay focused on what's going on in college football. But I do want to quickly mention, um, before we uh, get out of here, uh, was I, I, you know how harsh I was against the Mets off air. Was I too harsh on the Mets after last night, yesterday's heroics <laughs> from Baez running from first to home, sliding on? Making that incredible slide to, to to win the game to sweep the the not doubleheader doubleheader that he played against Miami uh, yesterday. For those who didn't know, earlier in the week, Baez had uh, went after the Mets had uh, finally won two games in a row for the first time in like three weeks. Uh, Baez uh, in the press conference, and they were asking, "Why were you guys doing a thumbs down gesture after big hits and home runs in that last game?" And he was like, well, we were doing it because, you know, we don't like that the fans boo us. So, you know, we are not machines. It's a tough game. And we want to let the fans know that if you're going to boo us, we're going to, you know, do it to you guys, let you know how it feels. Obviously, that didn't go over very well in New York amongst the fans. Um, He was met with boo as he came to the plate. But to his credit... And to the Mets' credit as a team, a game that looked like it was, you know, falling away from them, they were able to show some heart. Baez made some plays, and he made just an incredible mad dash to home to win that game. Um, I guess my, my only take on it at this point is I feel like, I thought Gary Coleman was really eloquent in, like, how he kind of views how this happened. Because, you know, it seems like, to me, a cardinal sin of any sports team is you can't go against your fan base. You go you against your fan base, you're dead. So it's just like, why would, he be, why would you even broach that? And yet, you know, <laughs> you know uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as the, the Mets owner, uh, you know, Steve Cohen put it, it's like, you know, it's like touching the third rail, you know. But, yeah. uh, but I think Gary Cohen was, was eloquent in saying that because of the nature of COVID, it's not excusing any of this, but because of the nature of COVID, players, like, you know, the media can't go into the clubhouse anymore. Players are more insulated than ever. And this Mets team 
has been very sensitive to the stuff that's being heard outside of the clubhouse. Um, they're not afraid to tweet about it. They're not afraid to talk about it. And they definitely have a me against the world kind of attitude towards just everything they deal with. And this era of athlete is just coached much differently than they were as kids growing up in different eras. You know, it's a lot more, you know, pat on the butt, not a lot more, you know, positive reinforcement. These are all good things. I'm not saying this is bad. This is not a all kids are soft now. But I think because of that, we play in a city like New York and fans come into the season with expectations. You guys just flat out don't live up to it. You guys flat out play terrible um, and, and experience a historic collapse. They're just not going to they're, they're, this is not the city for that kind of positive reinforcement. That's just not going to happen. And that when you're as highest paid as high, high, highly paid as a Lindor or highly touted as a Baez and some of these guys, this is not the case. And this team seems to be unable to decipher what is true, like vitriol that you get from social media, true vitriol we get from trolls, from some bad media members. I'm keeping honest, there's some of that in there for sure. They can't seem to tell the difference between what that is and fans who are rooting for you, want you to do well, and see you underperforming, booing at you. It's just not the same as that other stuff that you deal with as an everyday athlete playing just a sport period, let alone New York City. And I think this team and these players need to, they, they, the, in the whole organization needs to really sit these guys down and kind of make them understand one, what it means to put on a Met uniform and what it means to play in New York City. Because what we saw this week was a disgrace. It was a complete disgrace. You have guys who have been here for two, for two minutes who are hitting 210 telling the fans that they need to be better. And the only chance they had to even express what they were doing was because they actually got on base for us for a change. Like we, we didn't even know this was, yeah. we wouldn't even know this was happening because they, they couldn't get on base. They couldn't win. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't put the thumbs yeah. down because they couldn't accomplish the, the easy fact of just getting to first base. So, you know, the easy, you know, accomplishment of getting to first base. So, so that tells you kind of just like, just how absurd this whole thing was. But, I think, you know, if they had lost those games, you see a different EJ today. But credit where credit is due. It was nice to see them bounce back. They're sitting now five and a half games back. It's crazy to say they're four and a half games up to start the month. But this is just where we are. And we'll see how the rest of this goes. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that was really uh, interesting. Uh, back and forth between Met fans, and it was... It was funny to see and interesting to see Baez and get, you know, absolutely booed uh, at his first plate appearance after that. He was lucky that was an afternoon game where there's only like 10 people there. Because it was still loud. Yeah, you can see it. It was still It was a makeup game. It was a game that was in April that they didn't get to start really, basically. And so it was a very weird situation. So there weren't really anybody in the stands. And those boos were loud. Like if he was in a normal game... That would have been ugly against the Dodgers. Right, that would have been a different atmosphere. Yeah, and so, uh, so that was that was interesting to see. I mean, we'll we'll we'll. I think the interesting part about this for for me is that these are guys that are um, supposed to be the face of the franchise. You know, Baez is a guy that you guys just acquired in a major deadline deal from Chicago. 
Francisco Lindor is a guy who just gave 10 years, 300 million. 340 million. 340 million. What, you know, <laughs> like, I, how do you... How do you even move on from those guys? I mean, Baez, look, he's a free agent, so it's not... I mean, Baez is, is easy. You know, but it's just... It, it's more the optics. Of we, you know, we gave yeah. up assets to acquire this guy, and now we just got to let him walk. Um, I mean, it's not great management, but I go back to... I think Steve Cohen has done a... done a, done a mediocre job since, he's, since he bought the team. Um, I, I, and that's... You know, I, I'm sure he's a smart guy, but I, I don't, I don't know if there's been the right amount of maturity in the in the in the, in the totally front office, yeah, um, and in the in in the management of of the team, um, and I think that's permeated throughout the <laughs> throughout the roster. I mean, you know, and it starts from the yeah. top. Yeah, I told you, I, know, told you, I felt right. like yeah, I told you, I felt like this was the first roster I saw that the Mets missed David Wright, the captain, David Wright, the leader. There have been other teams that have missed David Wright, the talent. This team doesn't need Dave Wright, the talent. Like, they have talent on the roster. This team right. lacks leadership. This team lacks baseball character. This doesn't happen if David Wright's in the locker room. Or I'll tell you yeah. what, if it does, it's being nipped in the bud very fast. Or he's coming out ahead of a bias saying, that guy's a clown. Don't listen to anything he says. And we love the fans. We couldn't even get that what? from anybody uh, when, when Baez opened his mouth. Like I told you, this is the more this is one of the more ridiculous baseball, you know, clubhouse stories and team stories that I've heard since the the Red Sox chicken and beer right. uh, roster, and and that that scandal was, <laughs> you know, that team was was a mess, and that's that's what this Met team looks like, and you know, the only slightly people, different yeah. the only but, people who look more clownish than. Uh, these New York Mets were Cubs fans who thought that their opinion mattered at all. <laughs> Sorry, fans. I don't care what Javi Baez did for your team. I know he's hitting 210 for my team, and he strikes out every other time he comes to the plate. So, no. He doesn't tell our fans how they treat him. And the Mets were in what? When he's swinging like he's playing blindfolded on MLB, MLB The Show. Sorry. This is not that's just not how this works. Stay in your lane and we'll stay in ours. I'm leaving it. The at Mets that. were in first place when they got him, right? Yeah. They haven't won a game they, since. After they got him, they had a 9 he, 20. He was he stunk, he got hurt, he finally did something, and then started saying the fans need to be better. Just clownery from that guy. Like it, like yeah. there's no excuse at all. And no, because he played well for your city doesn't mean anything. It's like, sorry. <laughs> like, he can't tell people who've been rooting for this team for 50, 60 years. Y'all are the problem. <laughs> and he comes in, and he's, you know, going viral for how badly he's striking out. That is not how it works in the city. I don't know how they do it in Chicago. We ain't here. Let's ride out, Kendall. What we got for Kendall's court? Yeah, so, I, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show a a crazy sports story. Uh, very odd sports story of, of, of the last... Uh, you know, really one of the craziest we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, this weekend, EJ, was the start of, for many teams, uh, and for ESPN, it was the start of the high school football season. And uh, as part of ESPN's football, high school football kickoff uh, slate, they had a game uh, that featured IMG Academy, 
you know, very high profile, you know, sort of athletic charter school or athletic boarding school uh, in Florida, you know, arguably the, the top or the second best high school basketball program in the country. Uh, at this point, it's pretty inarguable that they are the uh, best high school football program, a high school football factory in the country. Uh, over 20, um, well over 20 high division one level players on their team. Uh, that's essentially, you know, making up both sides of the field. <laughs> You've got basically a college football team, a quasi college football team on their on their roster. They had a game uh, this, this this weekend to, to start the season against uh, Bishop Sycamore, uh, a, a, a school out of Ohio, um, or so we thought. Um, if you haven't heard the story, if you do know the story, then you know exactly where this is going with with the Bishop Sycamore. Uh, Knights, I guess they are. That's what the logo of Spartans, whatever they are, whatever the nonsense they are. Um, so to start the game, ESPN talks about how this is a mysterious bunch, uh, Bishop Sycamore, that they are a new program. They're an online only institution uh, that uh, apparently they knew nothing about. Like the ESPN announcers knew nothing about the team because the team uh, actually was ignoring ESPN's um, request for, you know, any sort of, you know, media before the game up until the day of the game when he, when Bishop Sycamore finally provided them with a, a roster that uh, was apparently incomplete because they didn't know half the guys that were on the field because they weren't on the roster that was given to them by the, the quote-unquote school. Um, obviously, the game was a blowout. Uh, IMG Academy uh, won by uh, they won 58 to 0 I believe um, in a yeah. game that included a running clock in the second half um, the running clock was actually supposed to start in the second quarter but Bishop Sycamore refused to use a running clock in the second quarter for whatever bizarre reason and also in the ESPN broadcast they mentioned that uh, Bishop Sycamore had told them going into the game that they had multiple Division one prospects, but that the ESPN could not even verify that because none of those players were in their database uh, for any <laughs> were in their recruiting database, which, as EJ knows, uh, ESPN's database and other recruiting services, as they also mentioned, are very expensive. These databases are extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, thousands of players uh, across all 50 states are uh or a part of ESPN's database. And so if you, none of your players are on the, are, are in the database, that's a red flag. Um, I don't know if I've ever watched a game on ESPN, a, a high school game on ESPN that didn't have anybody that was on a recruiting database uh, in basketball or football. But that's what would ha- that's what happened uh, this weekend. And after the game, we started to, to when, when people, the story started to get out that there was this team that played against, IMG Academy that no that the ESPN didn't even know who they were. Um, word started to get out that apparently this isn't the first time that this situation's happened, and that also this same school that played Sunday in Canton against IMG Academy also played Friday against another school in Ohio, and they went from that game on Friday to then playing a game on Sunday against IMG Academy, which, again, that's borderline criminal. When you're talking about 
the sport of football <laughs> where two two games in three days like it's an NBA schedule. Wait, two games like it's AAU basketball. They're playing two games in three days, and they the team the roster only has around twenty to thirty guys on the team. So they don't have they don't have enough guys to feel the second unit, to feel the second string. They don't have enough guys to have guys playing only one side of the ball. They got guys, most of their guys playing both sides of the ball. They have on a listed roster that they gave to to their to the announced team on Friday, the roster included they didn't they they didn't break up the offensive and defensive line. There was only like eight, like seven guys listed as <laughs> part of both the offensive and defensive line combined. So yeah, I mean it was a mess. Um we come to find out that the school is a scam. Uh when you Google the address that's listed online, it a random house shows up <laughs> on Google Maps. Um apparently the coach there is an active arrest warrant out for something prior. Um you know, and the the stories go on and on. Apparently, the hotel that they were staying at for the IMG Academy game in Canton, apparently the hotel was given fake checks. Um, so the the stories continue is, to which continue is, to come which in, is, which is like a a like ongoing yeah. like theme with this school is that like they go to these places and give bounce checks and yeah. never pay, <laughs> never pay their yeah. bills. Yeah, it, it, it's. It, it it's it, it's a uh it's a bizarre you got, story you that college is. players on the roster i mean just yeah and that's the other part of it that we apparently a lot of the guys on the team are are not even in high school <laughs> they're well above high school age um oh, which man. begs the question you know i mean well img academy is great but img academy has all high school guys uh it, it is for everything we want to talk about it is an, an actual high school uh, so it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a little embarrassing to have lost in the fashion that they did to it when you're not even high school. But yeah, no, this is, um, this is a crazy story. EJ, what's your, what's your, what's your take on it? So, so I saw a lot of people saying that, you know, what has become like the story of the week in, uh, football is like, uh, every other day in AAU basketball, <laughs> um, yes. which is kind of a funny way to think about it. But, look, I felt like, look, there's a lot of sad elements to this. I know we joke around a little bit. Um, I know there was, you know, kids talking about how, oh, we never went to school. And, you know, I'm a 15-year-old kid. And all my teammates are 19, 20 years old. <laughs> dudes, from, yeah. dudes from New York City. These guys are like gangbangers. Uh, you know, stories about, you know, we, we, we had no food. So we were robbing, you know, Walmarts and Kroger's because um, they weren't feeding us sleeping on hotel floors, sleeping in random apartments. So there's a lot of sad elements to this. Uh, and there are a lot of kids being exploited. So I want to make sure I put that out there just to say that, you know, we hope that that ends. And if there's legal action needs to be taken, that is taken. Because, I mean, this is clearly a scam. I mean, you can't do this. You can't say you're a high school and not be a high school. And it's just wild to me. It's just one of those things where, like, how do you get that far <laughs> to play? I mean, playing IMG Academy, like, that's far. But it's like, okay, I mean, that's not completely unforeseen. It's like, how does that? How do you play IMG Academy on national TV? You know what I'm saying? Like, like very few high school programs in the country 
get to play on ESPN. A lot of great. Yeah, games exactly. Yeah, at ESPN broadcasts a lot of high school games. It's very rare still for high schools to actually get on ESPN. It's very difficult. And it's like how and I know okay, IMG Academy is a is a is a uh, is a, obviously a draw, but I'm like how how does the you know ESPN said there's a service that essentially does their high school scheduling and they're the ones to blame for this essentially. Yeah, the outsource. Yeah, so, but I'm like, how does it get to the point where you don't understand who a Bishop Sycamore is? Like, to me, like, if, if you saw, like, they played Bigger Sycamore last year and beat them by 40. Like, I would have looked at the schedule last year and like, oh, this game was a 40-point blowout. Maybe this isn't the team we should be putting on national TV. And not do any right. research at all and then not get any data. I mean, at a certain point, I know there's advertisers involved, but I'm like, yo, we might have to pull this joint. Like, if we can't get verified right. information. Everyone just to go on a broadcast and on- just say ESPN, again, you mentioned Paragon Marketing Group that scheduled this game. IMG doesn't look good. No. Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That game no. was played at the, in Canton. Crazy. They don't look good. How did you let this, whoever put this game together, how did you let this happen? It's crazy, man. There's so many questions. The, co- the head coach. There's so many questions. The head coach got fired, which is really curious because it led to question. Who fired him? It's not a school, yeah, right? Who fired him? What does that person do? I haven't gotten an answer yeah, to that. Apparently, the guy who fired him or mutually separated ways with him is the school director. I'm like, where's the school? That's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's really this is a just a bonkers story. I mean, again, uh, and you talk about you know again in basketball we've had these fake schools some to some degree. Uh, you know, or these schools that are online schools only, they only have 30 kids. We've seen that a lot, right. but it's and a lot I guess of times with the football, are, they outsource they outsource the academic, the side academic stuff, school. right? Right, like this wasn't, obviously, wasn't school, it was just a basketball team, right? They outsource the school aspect to an actual school, right? But this, dude, that's dude, not this what's is crazy. No, this doesn't happen. They, they just said. Like, one kid was telling a story where, like, his son mom sent, was again, crazy story. Like, you just send your kid to school far away and just <laughs> assuming he's going to get learning and stuff. And they just asked him, when do you guys start school? He said, I don't know. They say they say we're probably going to start in October. <laughs> it's like, I, what do you mean you're going to start in October? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they like they just weren't, he said, he said one time they went to a library and did some studying. And that was, like, the only time, only, like, schooling he got, one of the students. Um... One guy was talking about how he kept, they were traveling. They were doing a traveling tour of seven-on-seven seven camps in the summer, one of the parents. And every time they would get to a hotel, when they would leave, the hotel would try to bill the parent. They were like, you know, nobody else paid. So, it was like, you, you know, you got to pay for these ten rooms over here or whatever. After they would leave. I mean, it's just, I mean, this was just crazy. Um so yeah, I mean, I mean, it's this, one of those, this, it's one this, of those this, situations this. where, look, at least it's one of those situations where I ask the question for the guys running the thing: Was this scam and was this scheme to make? Because they made a decent amount of money allegedly uh, through like scheduling these games. When you when you're getting when you're getting these when you're playing these games against IMG, they're paying these guys because uh, it's like it's like a buy game. You know, nobody wants to play IMG, so they've got to got to fit they got to foot the bill. And ESPN is paying these teams to play on ESPN, and so these guys are and they're not giving it back to any sort of school. They're just pocketing the money, and so, um, 
it's a scheme, but I would have to ask the question, was like what was this even worth the time? Like at least in AAU basketball, you can make the case that oh yeah, when you, you know, if you have a shady sort of AAU program, like at least you're 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 coaching you're probably coaching one of the best high school basketball players in the country. You know, so if that guy makes it to the NBA, then you know it's it's it, you know it's it, it may be um, they may incentivize uh, for a lot of these guys, um, or like Levar Ball with like his JBA, and some of that. So a lot of the JBA was a scam, and I don't think it was because of Levar Ball as much as it was Alan Moore. But you know the JBA yeah. was not necessarily what it was. It was a solid idea. You know I don't love the idea, but it's what overtime is doing now with their basketball league. But so it's not, it wasn't like it was a crazy idea, but it was kind of a scam. And the problem was the, the reason LeVar Ball was able to do it was because he had two sons that ultimately ended up playing in the NBA. Obviously three, but I mean, right. two sons that were in the JBA, you know, right. and Angelo and, Lame- and LaMelo that, that played, that, that ended up playing in the NBA. So like, that was the only reason he did the J. He didn't do the JBA out of the goodness of his heart. Did it to give his, his sons a place to play. Right. Yeah, while they were being able to profit off their off their likeness, so yeah, um, so there was motivation there. This is like, not like he's not he's not coaching J- Jadavion Clowney, you know, he's not coaching Kyler Murray or he's not coaching Johnny Manziel on this team. They've got, I mean, I watched that team play. There's nobody on there's nobody on that roster that is going to be playing on Sundays, and that's not a disrespect, but it's. It's the reality, and so to go through all of this for all of that, you know, I don't know. When again, you're just all you're doing is ruining a lot of people's lives. It's a, it's a shame. It, it is a shame, shame, man. But yeah, especially you, know, you got you got sifted out. And again, I also when you talk about the ESPN part of it, I have to ask we <laughs> have to ask the question. Like, again, it's one of those things where like somebody like kind of I don't want to compare it to like the January 6th Capitol thing, but it's like, it's one of those things where you kind of just walked into the Capitol and you didn't realize, oh. you, you didn't, like, whoa, 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 I didn't think we'd get this far. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? Like, right, yeah. I, there's no way the coach really thought they'd end up on ESPN, but, like, that was the goal, probably, but, I mean, <laughs> what did you think was going to happen by the time you got to ESPN? <laughs> At some point, this plan was going to fall apart. Yeah, at some point somebody's like, uh, can we get a real roster? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they like they could uh, that uh, that 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 sophomore has a full beard. <laughs> What's going I mean, on? There's here? the viral picture of the offensive lineman who's running off the field and come the guy on, man. like twenty two, twenty three. Like Oh, come yeah. on, man. This and no. and it, it, again, it it's it's reasonable to ask, would this have been sniffed out? Would this scheme have been sniffed out had they not played on field? Probably I not. Okay, go with the fact that they had like 20 players like that is yo it's, yo, it's, it's football man <laughs> like, they went full nfl street <laughs> on yeah we're playing both sides it's crazy somebody can get hurt yeah like i think you know obviously you don't want to get hurt but one of the one of the memes i think <laughs> i think really did send me was there was a player who was getting treated on the on the sideline and somebody was like None of those three people attending that player has any medical training. <laughs> it's yeah, and, and you know, this thing was crazy. They were, they were using the IMG training staff, and dang it, IMG was, I had to have been looking at this thing like, who are we even playing? Yeah, they played them last year. 
Right. So. And, and it's a new coaching staff. Pepper Johnson is not a coach at IMG. So I, right. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he was the one that scheduled this or I don't know what happened. But, um, you know, they like, it, I mean, ESPN, they had, they had to mention that, look, this is like Anish Shroff. Shout out to him. He's a great, he's a, he's a great play by play guy. He, he is. He yeah. said during the telecast, you know, this is like a bantamweight in their third fight going up against the heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah, you're going up against Tyson and, Fury. Yeah, exactly. And they had, there was serious concern about the health of these players. And that is, and this was before they realized a lot of these dudes were older than the guys on IMG. And they were worried about, I don't know if these guys were able to stay healthy playing against this level of competition. And yeah. And as you, if you watch the game, a lot of guys were dropping like flies. A lot of cramps, a lot of nicks and knacks, and a lot of stoppages in play. And well, who would have thought it, that playing I, I, two games or three days of football it exactly. wasn't a good idea? It might have been beyond the mismatch, as much as it was fatigue. <laughs> playing both crazy, sides man. of the ball, that's 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 like over, well over a hundred snaps in like two or three days. Oh man, yeah, yeah insane, insane okay. stuff, man. But um, yeah, I think that's a yeah. good place to wrap this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. The return. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I certainly had a blast uh, chatting uh, with Kendall, of course. You can catch all of our podcasts on the New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. We are so, so close to reaching 1,000 subscribers. But we have a make sure we do a big celebration when we do. So make sure you guys hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Also, be sure to check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, and Facebook, New Generation Media. Also, find us individually on social media. Kendall's on Twitter, New Gen Ken. I'm on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.